Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Jeff R. Steele. Dr. Steele is the senior pastor of Redeeming Grace Church of Coleman, Alabama. He's a conference speaker, owner of the Christian music group The Steels, and an award-winning singer and songwriter. Now, here's Dr. Steele. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Well, don't you think it's about time they did that? I mean, they could have done it 30 minutes ago. They could have known it an hour ago when, when Peter knew it. Peter knew when he was walking on the top of the water, whew, Thou art the son of God. Peter knew when he started to sink and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and picked him up out of the waves that were going over his head. He knew it right then. This is the son of God. I'm going to make some mistakes in my life, Peter said, because I'm not perfect, but I know one thing. This is the son of God. All the rest of them could have known the same thing he did at the second he knew it, but they never did what Peter did. They never came down out of the ship to go where he was. They never made the step to get closer to Jesus. But Peter did. Peter made the step to get closer to Jesus out of the boat. Peter said, I'll walk on that water because Jesus told me I could. I'm going to get closer to him whatever it costs me. I'm going to get closer to Jesus. I'm going to ask a question this morning. I'm not going to preach a long time, but I want you to hear everything I say. If we use the same percentages that were indicated to us in this text we read this morning, Jesus had 12 disciples on that day, but only one of them, only one of them took the step out of the boat to get closer to Jesus. If we use that same percentage model, we would have to say this morning that since there's more of us than there were of them, there's probably less than, less than one of us who's willing today to get out of the boat, get onto the water, and follow the instructions given to get closer to Jesus. We wonder why churches today are in such a mess. They're filled with people who will not get out of the boat and get closer to Jesus. Here's a question. Why are there so few of us who will do that? Why are there so few of us who will put our leg over the side of the boat, step out on the water, get out of the boat, step out on the water to get closer to Jesus? Here are some reasons maybe. Why not they, but why we? won't take the step of faith to get out of the boat and get closer to Jesus. Number one, a lot of people don't understand about this particular story. You know when Jesus called for Peter to come and Peter stepped down out of the boat to walk on the water? Peter had a brother on that boat. His brother Andrew was on that boat. As a matter of fact, it was in fact Andrew, Peter's brother, that had led Peter to Christ. And when Peter got out of the boat to get closer to Jesus, who was walking on the water, when Peter got out of the boat to get closer to Jesus, Peter had to turn his back on his own brother. Jeff, are you telling us we're going to have to turn our backs on our families to get closer to Jesus? I didn't say that. What I'm saying is you ought to be willing, should the need arise, to turn your back on your own family to get closer to Jesus. James and John were on that boat. They were Peter's old fishing buddies. 
the ones that he had run with since they were little boys, fishing, and then ultimately fishing for a living. James and John were on that boat. And Peter, when he stepped out of the boat and got on the water to get closer to Jesus, he had to walk away with his back turned to James and John. He walked away from his own brother. He walked away from his own friends. Hey, that's not all. Matthew, Peter's tax man, was on that boat. Matthew used to work for the IRS. And now he was Peter's accountant that kept him out of trouble with the IRS. Oh, come on, Jeff. Are you so stupid you want us to believe there was an IRS back in the day of Jesus? Absolutely. The Israeli Revenue Service. They looking for that money. They still looking for it today. Now it's called internal, but back then it was Israeli. So when Peter got off the boat to walk on the water to get closer to Jesus, he turned his back on his own family. He turned his back on all of his friends and he turned his back on his tax man, his business associate. Folks, for you to get closer to Jesus, which is a desperate need for all of us to turn our backs to everything and everybody that would keep us from doing it, if we're going to get closer to Jesus, if we're going to get close to where he is, we're of course going to have to take the step of faith, but it may involve walking away from relationships that mean an awful lot to us. Some of y'all will pine away over a girlfriend or a boyfriend where the relationship went bad and you don't even realize God was taking you out of that relationship so you could get closer to Jesus. So now you're neither one. You're not close to the person you had the relationship with and you're not close to Jesus because you won't turn loose of what you no longer have and you won't go toward what God so desperately wants you to have. And that is a closer relationship with Jesus. You want to talk about your family for a minute? Some of you had family members that every time the church met, they used to get together and come to the altar and call your name. Oh, God, please save Jeff. God, Jeff is wandering in sin. God, save Jeff. Do something for Jeff. And then guess what? One day you come and get saved. You got saved. Your whole family rejoices. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Jeff finally got saved. Everybody gets happy that was praying for you that you got saved. And then all of a sudden you start to read your Bible. Then all of a sudden, they catch you praying every day. Then all of a sudden, they catch you not going places you used to go, not doing things you used to do, not saying things you used to say. And all of a sudden, your own family that prayed for you and prayed for you and prayed for you and wouldn't be silent until you got saved, all of a sudden, that same family comes to you and says, now, whoa, 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 hold it. We didn't want you to get that saved. We didn't want you to go all the way with God. We didn't want you to get to where it involved every area of your life. We need you to moderate this thing just a minute. Let me say something to you that are praying for somebody in your family today. Don't you pray for a lost loved one to get saved and then they get saved and God gets in charge of their heart and they get filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't you then tell God you didn't save him the way we wanted him to get saved and you didn't save him to the level we wanted him to be saved. No, we want him to be saved like this over here, kind of like we are, you know, halfway in, halfway out. If God gets a hold of somebody, and they get plugged into the right socket, there are some things that are going to change about them. They're not going to be the same they used to be. Maybe that's why some of us don't get out of the boat to get closer to Jesus. We're unwilling to cut ties with people and places and things that we've grown to love. 
And until we're willing to cut those ties and turn our backs on those things that are keeping us from getting closer to Jesus, we're going to stay right where we are. And it's not close to Jesus. Peter got out of the boat to draw closer to Jesus and nobody else on the boat did. They wouldn't cut ties with people in places that they'd grown to love. I'll tell you something else that maybe caused the other 11 not to stop bailing water and not to step out of the boat and not to come to Jesus. Think about it for a minute. Here's Peter and at least James and John and maybe some other ones. They've only heard one thing all their lives. They've only heard one way to live all their lives because they've all been in the fish business, most of them. You know what your daddy teaches you if you're in the fish business? Here's what your daddy teaches you if you're in the fish business. Your daddy says, son, I don't care how hot it gets. I don't care how cold it gets. I don't care how windy it gets. I don't care how the thunder is crashing all around you. I don't care if you see lightning popping all over the place, son. I don't care what happens. Whatever you do, don't get off this boat. Because if you get off this boat, you're going to die. That's what daddies taught their fisher sons. Don't ever abandon the ship. Stay on the boat at all costs. Look what the Bible doesn't say. When Jesus said, come on, come to me, Peter did not say, nor does the Bible record such. Peter did not say, hold, hold on just, just a second, Lord. Let me get my orange life jacket and put that on and tie that around me. Hold on a minute, Lord, I'm coming. Just hang on just a second. Let me get my whistle. Just in case I start to sink, I'll be able to blow that whistle. And out here in this nighttime, my boys that are going to help me, they'll be able to find me by the sound of the whistle. Hang on just a minute. Let me get my life jacket. Let me get my whistle. Let me get prepared for this walk that I am about to take. All of us, we think we've got faith, but you know what we've really got? In our back pocket, we've got a plan B, don't we? We've got something we're going to do in case this doesn't all work out. We don't fly as often as we used to, but we flew to Dallas a few weeks back. And those idiot women that get up in front of you before you take off to tell you such important facts as your seat bottom can be used as a life preserver should we crash in water. Thank you. They say, should we lose pressure in the plane, a mask will pop down in front of your face. Then they say, adjust your mask first so then you can help others to adjust their mask. You're flying with your wife. Come on, fellas. You go ahead and adjust your mask first and see if you're not in the divorce court before the plane can land wherever you're going. <laughs> Honey, I'm do what the lady, she, uh, she told me, put, put my, my own first, but uh, go ahead and try that. See how that works out for you. That's the reason so many families break up that travel, they fly. And the woman tells them to adjust their mask first. Your wife doesn't hear anything about that. She just sees you over there trying to save your own life. 
I'm going to tell you something about people. Nobody likes to fly. If they tell you they do, they're lying to you. Nobody likes to fly. We all know 30,000 feet above the earth going 600 miles an hour is just not our natural habitat. Coming back from up north one night, we were flying to Atlanta, going to go from Atlanta to home, which was Jackson, Mississippi back then. We got in one of the worst storms I've ever been in on a plane in my life. I thought, honestly, we were going to die. I didn't have much doubt that this was it, and we were going to die. Well, people are screaming. People that were drinking booze started putting their glasses down so they didn't have it in their hand. If they have to meet God, don't want to meet him with a drink in my hand. On these long flights, the airline provides a movie for you to watch. You can listen to it through your headphones and all kind of God-cursing, horrible languages on that movie. People took their headphones off. It got so rough. We weren't getting any announcements from the captain, but they, they took those headphones off because I don't want to face God after just listening to what they said about him. So they took them off. It got bad. I'm telling you, it got bad. I finally leaned over to the guy behind me. He had his clerical collar on around his neck. And I said, Father, could I, could I borrow some of your beads? He said, are you Catholic? I said, no, but I'm willing to try anything now. Hand me some of those beads. It was bad. It was real bad. Why is do people get so spiritual when they get on an airplane? Because everybody seems to understand that 30,000 feet at 600 miles an hour is not our natural habitat. Well, I've got news for you. When you woke up this morning and your alarm went off at 6 or 7 o'clock and you slung your legs around to the side of the bed and put your feet on the floor, you were out of your natural habitat right then. If God doesn't cause your lungs to breathe, how are you going to breathe? If God doesn't cause your blood to flow through your body, how are you going to have blood to flow? If God doesn't wake your heart up and say, now beat on a regular basis so they can live. If God doesn't say that, how are you going to have a heartbeat? How are you going to have breath in your body? How are you going to have blood? flow unless God says for it to flow. Anybody in here got an idea on how to make your own heart start up this morning? None of us do. We're all in the hand of God. None of us are in our natural habitat. No matter where we think we are, we've got it all together, we think, but we don't. God's in control of our lives. And let me say this. There were 11 disciples on board that boat that night, and nobody got off but Peter. You know why? Because they all had a plan B. Oh, we got the buckets. We're going to bail the water out. Well, that's what we're going to do. Some of them had the oars. We're going to try to get control of this thing by rowing it. Let me say this. Hear me today. If you have a plan B, if you, you want to get closer to Jesus, but you have a plan B, that's not faith. You don't have faith until you drop the plan B. The woman with the issue of blood in the New Testament, she didn't have a plan B. She'd been to the doctor. Why did she go to the doctor? She's already been. Why does she spend some of her money to get well? She's already spent it all. She has no money. The doctors can't help her. They've given her up for dead. And finally, she says, I'm going to get on my belly and crawl to Jesus. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made well then. And they said, what are you going to do if that doesn't work? I'm not going to do anything because I don't have a plan B until you lose lose your plan B, don't you ask God for anything. I said, until you drop your plan B, stop asking God for anything. God doesn't operate through faith with people who have a plan B. All our lives, our daddies and mamas have told us, well, be sure and get you some money set aside for a rainy day. God knows about the sunny days and the rainy days. You believe God, get closer to Jesus without any plan 
B. There were 11 disciples, all with a plan B, but only one, Peter, said, I just want to get closer to Jesus. I don't care if he tells me to walk on this water. I just want to get closer to Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus said, don't wait on your life jacket. Don't wait on your whistle. You come now. And some of them didn't get out of the boat and get closer to Jesus because they'd done that before. See if this might be you. See if it might be me. They'd done that before. And they failed. They'd done that before, and when they failed, people laughed at them. People mocked them. People said, I knew it wasn't real. I knew he or she would never stay with it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew they'd never. You know what? We live in a world of negativity. It's all around us. We're in a sin-cursed world, and we're born negative. It's the way we are. We're as negative as we can be. Every one of us, when I holler out the words negative, Nelly, you ought to raise your hand, man or woman. We're just negative. We're quick to believe the worst about anybody. When we hear it, we're quick to believe the worst. And that happened to you one time. You took a step in faith to get out of the boat, get closer to Jesus, and you fell flat on your face. And everybody laughed at you. And you're not going through that. Anymore. One time you did it and you failed. Do you know Walt Disney lost his very first job as a newspaper reporter and told he had no imagination? Well, Walt Disney took that no imagination and created two of the largest and most popular theme parks in the entire world. People come here from everywhere to visit Disney World and Disneyland. Dick Cheney, he quit Yale University, not once, but twice. People wrote him off, said he'll never amount to anything. Dick Cheney was the two-term vice president of the United States of America, but he had to look the other way from his critics to be able to do it. Those that said he was so stupid, he never amount to anything. <laughs> Harold Sanders was a Kentucky colonel. That's the highest award that the governor of Kentucky can bestow on anybody in that state. I just happen to be one too. He was a Kentucky colonel. When he was very young, his father died and left him as a, just a boy to take care of his mother and his other siblings. He quickly learned since mama's working two jobs and is gone all the time. Harold learned if these kids are going to eat, I'm going to have to cook for them. And he began to cook and develop different recipes. He was a chef by the time he was 10 years old. But when he was 12, his mother remarried, and Daddy didn't want anything to do with the children, so they all got farmed out to other relatives. Almost a surefire sign of failure for the rest of your life. But Harold scraped together the money to buy a service station in Corbin, Kentucky. He bought that service station because back then gas was cheap and it was selling good. He thought it was a way to make money. As a side job, he started cooking meals in the gas station to feed to his customers. It wasn't long before they were buying more food than they were gas, and Harold just cut the pipeline to the gas pumps and started to serve food full-time in the gas station. 
A boy whose daddy died when he was young, whose mother remarried and threw him out of the house when he was 12 years old. When we turn out of here in about two or three minutes, there are 19,000 Kentucky Fried Chicken stores cooking chicken and feeding people today in the United States of America. But Harold had to overcome. All those that said, you're a failure, you're a flop, you're never going to make it. You failed and we saw you, ha, ha, ha. Failure doesn't have to be final, especially with God. God wants you to stand up today and God wants you to get out of the boat and God wants you to walk on the water and if you sink, God wants you to say, Lord, save me. And he promised if you'll just ask, I will save you, restore you, set you back on your feet and on the path you were on before you looked the other way. Failure is not the cave-in moment. Failure is the time for you to experience God's restoration in your life. Hey, it's all about getting closer to Jesus. And sometimes to get closer to Jesus, we got to get out of that stinking boat that we were depending on for our plan B. We got to get out of that boat. We got to do the impossible and walk on the water because nothing's impossible with God, Luke said. Why aren't there more of us who are willing to step out of the boat to go closer to Jesus? We're holding on to relationships that are costing us every day. We're hanging on to plan B, which demonstrates we don't have real faith. And some of us have just been told we were a flop and a failure. And we believed it. Somebody else's opinion of you is not required or requested or even relevant. It's God's opinion of you. You are who God says you are. And your opinion Anybody else's opinion means nothing. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you'd like to contact Dr. Steele, you can go to his website at jeffrsteele.com. If you'd be interested in Dr. Steele coming to speak or having the Steeles minister at your next event, there's a booking inquiry form there. You may also call the office at 256-590-2068.